1: You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. Me.
0: Focus Features presents Back to Black.
1: I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles.
0: Experience the music and her story.
1: Know like this.
0: I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's
1: my daughter. That's my Amy.
0: On the big screen. I want to be remembered. Pitches just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Katie Lambert and joining me today is Sarah Doughty. How are you, Sarah? I'm doing well, Katie. How are you? We had a reader request for today's topic from Alexandria and Vanessa, and her name is Eleanor of Aquitaine, and she was a very busy lady in her 82 years of life. She was extremely busy, and we should say she was living in the 12th century, so 82 is an impressive feat of its own. Well, it's also hard because there's not a lot of source material to go from, not a lot of primary sources from the time, or at least not concerning women because no one care to record what the women were doing. No. So what we're doing is is piecing together the little that we have. Varied so. accounts. Exactly. So Eleanor of Aquitaine was the most powerful woman in 12th century Europe, according to lots of accounts. She was also beautiful and rich and has been described as vital, lively, headstrong, energetic, and intelligent. And she was the sole heir of the Duke of Aquitaine. His son
0: died very young. So she was in a very powerful position from childhood. Um, and this made her a pretty desirable
1: match for the Bachelors of Europe. Right. And her full title was Countess of Poitou and Duchess of Aquitaine and Gascony. But that's a bit of a mouthful. So she's usually known as... It's a Elmore. lot of land. Basically. It is <laughs> a lot of land. Her father, William the Tenth, Duke of Aquitaine, possessed the largest domains in Northwest Europe. He owned more land than the king of France. So that's pretty impressive. She also had a sister whose name I very much enjoy, Petronilla, <laughs> and a brother, William Grey, the one who died, died young, young, as Sarah had said. And some interesting history about her family. In the year 1130, Bernard of Clairvaux told her father, William X, that God disapproved of him because he was supporting the anti-Pope Anacletus against Pope Innocent II. And so the Pope excommunicated him. And one day when Bernard was preaching against William in a church, William burst in and he was armed and prepared to take Bernard out. And Bernard held up the bread and wine. William had some sort of a fit and foamed at the mouth and fell down (laughs) on the ground and decided that was God telling him to change his mind. (laughs) (laughs) And so he did. Yeah, well, and...
0: In addition to having fits, William was also pretty interested in educating his daughters. He uh, had them instructed in Latin, and they grew up in a very sophisticated court. We tend to think of any countesses or dukes or whatnot being sophisticated, but in (laughs) 12th century Europe, that's definitely not not the case. Uh, Some of these people are slightly separated from being pretty crude.
1: <laughs> but in their court, they had troubadours and extended patronage to poets. Eleanor herself loved silky gowns embroidered in gold thread and lots of jewelry. She definitely had a taste for luxury. Yeah. And when her mother and her brother died in 1130, that's where El- that's when Eleanor became the heiress of all of this land. And so her father had vassals swear fealty to Eleanor on her 14th birthday, and he made her the ward of Louis VI, who was the king of France at the time. And not long after that, uh, her
0: father goes on a pilgrimage to Spain and drinks contaminated water and ends up dying. He actually made a will earlier in the day, kind of looking out for his daughter, asking that she would be brought to Louis quickly before his death was announced, because in this time it was pretty common for an heiress to just be kidnapped right. or for Lance. <laughs> so if people knew about his death, his daughter was going to be in great danger.
1: Right. So he specified that he was going to make Louis Sixth her guardian, and also that he wanted his daughter to marry Louis VI's son, and he also specified, which is the interesting part, that Eleanor's lands were to be her own and they would be inherited by her heirs. So her land wasn't going to be swallowed up as part of the kingdom of France. She was going to keep properties like Aquitaine.
0: Yeah. Uh, so she marries Louis Seventh at age 15 in
1: 1137, and she wore red I liked that detail, yes. She had a thousand guests. And shortly thereafter, which reminds me of Marie Antoinette, Louis VI died of dysentery. This is less than a month after their wedding. And the new couple became the king and queen of France. So at 15, she's queen, shoved right into the spotlight. And life at the French court was a little bit different. They didn't have a literary tradition. They didn't have a lot of entertainment. She brought in some troubadours and tried to improve court manners, but was generally very bored. And in the French court, the queen has no power. And also,
0: also Louis was kind of a different husband. He had been a younger son, so he wasn't destined to be king. He had actually been trained as a monk. So he was very pious and he was besotted by his
1: wife, but, you know, kind of Naive Naive would be a good word for him. And also devoted to God and not so much to secular life. Yeah. And one problem in their marriage was that Louis didn't sleep with her very often because he was, you know, a monk or was trained as a monk. He abided by rules that said you weren't supposed to have sexual relations with your wife on Sundays, holy days, feast days, during Lent, during pregnancy, or during that time of the month. So So this is a problem when you're trying to produce an heir to the French throne. especially Yeah, he needed a male heir, and but wasn't visiting her bed all that often, so this will come up later as an issue. Once again, sounds kind of Marie Antoinette. Exactly. And his advisor tried to curb Eleanor's power, so the only time she ever got to sway his opinion was in private. And that changed the French court, because before that, Queens at least had a little more power. But after this that became more of a tradition to let the Queen have her say in private, but in public, she just had a role of, that was decorative. Her mother-in-law thought Eleanor spent too much money and shouldn't use makeup and wasn't very pious. And fashions at the court at the time were a little nuts, lots of fine wool and and fine linen and piles of jewelry. She was about to prove her piety, though, with a crusade plan. She decided to go <laughs> along when Louis went... And she and her ladies dressed as Amazons, it's said, and wore red boots. And we were reading one book by Allison Weir about Eleanor of Aquitaine that said it was actually a credible account. Historians have been arguing this the one Amazon for a costumes. While. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she says she thinks the Amazon thing could have happened, and there were at least three hundred huh. women along with huh. Eleanor, so they must have made quite the spectacle. Yeah.
0: Well, during that time, her marriage to Louis it was already kind of on the rocks, but Things started to take a turn for the worse. Uh, there was there were some rumors that she might have cheated on her husband with her uncle, Raymond at Antioch. And uh, she and her husband were no longer sleeping together.
1: no. And also she sided with Raymond against Louis. Raymond had said that they should try to capture Edessa, and Louis said they should try to capture Jerusalem. And siding with him really upset Louis. And when he got upset with her, this is when she brought up the fact that they were related. And they'd known this for a long time, but consanguinity within certain degrees wasn't allowed. They're not really closely related, but enough for it to give
0: grounds for an annulment.
1: Which is what she wanted, which upset Louis quite a bit. And he actually took her out of the city at midnight and wouldn't let her say goodbye to Raymond, and they went home. But to the Pope, Pope Eugenius wouldn't give them an annulment, so they stayed together. They had two daughters, but they had no heir in the years to come. So then they thought that perhaps God really did disapprove of their marriage, because not having a son and a male heir was seen as celestial disapproval.
0: Yeah. So they did get their marriage annulled in 1152, and in accordance with her father's will and the terms of their marriage, she gets her land back. Exactly. So
1: she could go back to Aquitaine if she wanted to. But, of course, as the great heiress, she was now prey. And (laughs) people seriously tried to abduct her on her way home. So she needed someone to protect her in a marriage and protect her land and her interests. But she also wanted someone she was more compatible with than she was with Louis because they didn't have a lot in common. So enter Henry, Count yeah. of Anjou and Duke of Normandy.
0: Eleanor essentially proposes to Henry, Yeah, sends him a note. Uh, they had met before while she was married, and there were rumors that she had actually had a sexual relationship with Henry's father, Geoffrey of Anjou, uh, before she met his son.
1: My favorite rumor about their family is that Henry supposedly had a diabolical ancestress, <laughs> Melusine, who was said to be the devil's daughter. So people thought... Imagine their family tree, like <laughs> some flames drawn around her. People thought their family had a, a bit of devil tree to it. He had red hair. He was into diets and fasting. He was unpretentious, literate, forceful, and complex. He also had quite the temper and... Quite the sex drive, he was a womanizer and had lots of illegitimate children.
0: And so they get married in 1152, same year as the annulment, it's just a <laughs> couple months, months later.
1: Uh,
0: and the odd thing here is they're just as related as Eleanor
1: and Louis were. Right, the same degrees yeah. of relation. And also, they were supposed to, as Louis's vassals, he was the king of France, ask him, if they could get married, but they knew he wouldn't give permission, so they just went ahead and did it, which was an extremely provocative act. He could have started a war with them if he wanted. And Henry was also Louis's arch-rival. He had about the same amount of power and land.
0: And uh, shortly after their marriage, Henry's crowned King of England at Westminster. Uh, and this starts the rule of the Plantagenets, who go on for the next 330 years in parts of the continent. They die out in England
1: with Richard III, actually. The Tudors take over. Henry was a good governor. He was a good king of England. He finally brought peace to the land, although he may not have been the best husband, he was good at being king. He had a very messy family life, as we will soon, as we will see. (laughs) And during this time, Eleanor didn't have much of a role. He didn't give her much of one. So she did what she could within the parameters of her powers. She gave a lot of money to the Abbey of Fontreveau, and she was the patroness to poets and troubadours, and she had her own little court. His court was really chaotic and messy and disgusting, like you'd mentioned they could be. So yeah. she had her private room, refined court. Exactly, which yeah. she kept very luxurious. And her only rule was that men had to have temped hair before her. If they came before her unkempt, they had to leave. <laughs> Fair enough, Eleanor. Eleanor and Henry were married for about 40 years, and they had lots of children. Several of whom go on to be kings. They had a tumultuous relationship and very rebellious children. Quite literally rebellious. <laughs> <laughs> as in they staged actual rebellions <laughs> against their father and their other siblings. Henry was not even remotely faithful <laughs> to Eleanor through any of these years. And he started his affair with Rosamond de Clifford in 1165. And her name would appear in stories and verse for centuries. People yeah. were really interested in the idea of Rosamond, And she'll come up later as well. But in 1168, the marriage had started to go to pot, and Eleanor initiated a separation. And no one knows why. People have said it was because he was unfaithful, but reading Weir's book, she was saying she didn't think that was a credible explanation. So it may just have been that she was tired, and the marriage hadn't gone very well, and things were starting to go downhill, and she moved back to Aquitaine and set up a court at Poitiers.
0: At this point, though, things are still fairly amicable between them. In 1168, Henry sets up the Treaty of Mont- Montmoral, I think, <laughs> uh, and kind of splits up his domain between all his different sons, which is a odd thing to do. He had every right to leave all of his extensive lands to, to his, his eldest son, mm-hmm. um, but he might have not thought they were capable of managing it all. Uh, Regardless, he leaves Aquitaine to his son Richard, who is Eleanor's favorite. So things are still, you know, workable between them. Then in 1170, Eleanor was in Normandy at the time with her eldest son, also called Henry. And her husband Henry, Henry II, decides it's time for his son to become king. That sounds odd to us now. We're used to uh, children succeeding their parents after, after the, they've died. After they've died. But it was actually a French custom to crown the heir while the father was still alive. Uh, but the Pope isn't okay with this because it's the Archbishop of Canterbury's role to crown the king. Yes. And this is uh, Thomas Beckett.
1: And he's on the outs with Henry at this they time. Used, they used to be best friends and yeah. had a falling out over which they, things were never the same no, after that.
0: definitely not. Uh, but... Henry goes ahead crowns his son who now goes by the young king and the young king is really popular he's extremely good looking he was supposed to have taken after his mother strongly um but he's really contemptuous of his father he's really stubborn he's kind of jealous of his younger brothers who have their own duchies uh he doesn't have any of his own political power he's destined to be king of england he Kind of is he's yeah. the junior king now, but he doesn't have any
1: of his own. Right. for the time being, he's got nothing. political power, and um, he was kind of spoiled, wasn't he? You were mentioning they were very indulged. He as was him. very spoiled. Uh,
0: both parents really doted on the children, but in kind of an unfortunate spin on it, they pit the children against the other parent. Because and, that always works out well. <laughs> yeah, um, And Eleanor especially is considered to have worked on turning her kids against their father and, you know, inspiring their ambitions to take over their political control
1: a little early in life. Speaking of political maneuvers, around this time, Beckett is murdered at Canterbury and it's very violent.
0: And We're kind of put forth a hypothesis that this might be around the time when Eleanor
1: really can't stand her husband. She started to hate him at some point, and there was a switch. Something happens. And no one quite knows when it is, but I think that's a pretty... It goes from an amicable separation to... She can't stand his guts. ...inciting her
0: children to rebel against their father. So was he involved with the murder... He claimed he wasn't, and he was extremely remorseful about, about the whole thing, but there are always rumors. What level of intrigue? He, he said his lords misunderstood words against Becket, so. But in
1: 1172, Eleanor starts her, her own maneuvers and has Richard invested as the Duke of Aquitaine. And she calls him the great one. He is her beloved favorite son and she will do anything she can to help him.
0: And around the same time, uh, King Louis of France, his daughter is married to the young King, starts to talk to young Henry, also stirring up trouble saying, you know, you should maybe go for some political power.
1: It's not enough to just be the young King.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, So by 1173, Eleanor is backing up her sons and everybody's ready for a rebellion. But Henry II hasn't even suspected his wife is involved. It's pretty inconceivable that a wife would incite her children to to do this. So it's not even on his radar. But he's starting to keep a pretty close eye on the young king and uh, actually – keeps him close by his side until he escapes to Paris and
1: at that point Henry knows that King Louis is in league with the young king right so his wife's ex-husband is in league with his son so that's really nice for Henry II <laughs> finally Henry II starts to suspect Eleanor
0: has a role in this he was everything pretty smart is just guy. a little too well arranged for her to not be involved and he commands the Archbishop of Rouen to remind her of her wifely duties. He sends her this long letter, and there's no evidence she ever replied. But she <laughs> gets a little concerned and decides that the decides that the safest place for her to be is in Louis's court, her old husband's. Uh, so she dresses in men's clothing, rides a horse astride. To Paris, but on the way, she's apprehended by Henry's men and, uh, sent to
1: the king. And this marks a period in her life that's not so great for Eleanor. Henry didn't make any sort of public announcement about it, but he put her in a fortress and had her guarded for the rest of his life. So she was a prisoner for the rest of her husband's life. Yeah.
0: And the rebellion doesn't even end up going very well. There's little open warfare, even though a lot of towns are plundered, and Henry's sons seem very intent on destroying their father's land. As the tide begins to turn and Henry II looks like he's going to win, come out on top in this rebellion, his enemies start to sue for peace. But he's still convinced that he, he's not going to have total victory and peace until he atones for Beckett's murder and makes proper penance. Right. Uh, this isn't to say he was, you know, admitting involvement in it, but just to atone for he and Beckett's estrangement. So he actually goes to Canterbury and uh, does extreme penance, starves himself, gets flogged by monks. And literally the next day, things look up and there ends up being peace in England. And he's really generous about the fact Too that generous, his maybe. sons were treasonous. Um He gives them land, still no power, so it's likely they're not going to be satisfied. The only person who he won't give amnesty to is Eleanor.
1: But he doesn't quite feel the same about his sons after that. His old favorites are no longer his favorites. The littlest boy is his favorite one, and also his illegitimate son, Jeffrey. Who stood by him. Right.
0: Um, so Eleanor is... Gonna stay in prison. It looks like, and she's not allowed to talk to the kids because she might incite
1: them to rebel
0: again. <laughs> but prison isn't as is quite as bad as it sounds. No. Uh, she's staying in nice households and um, has a
1: small retinue—very small. But Henry begins living openly with his mistress, the aforementioned Rosamond de Clifford which had to be a bit of a slap in the face to Eleanor. Yeah, and
0: by 1175,
1: he's starting to think about
0: having the marriage annulled. But there's a problem with that. Um, Eleanor
1: is not interested. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um,
1: she's already had one annulment. I think she's done with the whole annulment thing.
0: It's it's a good deal for him. It, he, he considers forcing her, basically, to take the veil, uh, become a nun, And in which case, he would, wouldn't have to surrender her lands under the, which he very much wanted. Um, And it would be an easier deal than an annulment, which brings up a lot of messy
1: facts about their. Right. And you had to get a lot of people involved for an annulment. But she doesn't want to give up her crown and her position of power, even if she doesn't have much at the time. And she also said she didn't have a calling to be a nun. So she appealed to the archbishop and said, You know, you can't let my husband force me into being something that I'm not, into being a nun, which is something she respected and believed you needed a vocation for.
0: Yeah. Rosalind, however, does end up in a nunnery around the same time because she's sick and. Basically, that was the place to go.
1: The king made her a very nice tomb. And there was a, a myth that's been going on in history for a very long time that Eleanor murdered her, but she didn't. Not true. Eleanor
0: was imprisoned. And as we said earlier, she had very little contact with anybody because the king was so concerned about her influence. So she didn't have a lot of
1: time or space to go around Miss murdering and mistresses. And the bishop made Rosmond's tomb be removed because she was a mistress in the following years. There's more familial strife going on in the years. They never did have a very peaceful family life, and the young king dies of dysentery. And Henry II was scared to go and visit him while he was dying because he was afraid there would be Thought some sort of trap plot. set, which knowing his sons would make sense. Likely. <laughs> <laughs> but he sent a ring as a token of his love, and on his deathbed the young king pleads for mercy for his mother. Yeah.
0: And Eleanor actually, when she's brought news of the death of her son, she actually says that she had a dream about it and even dreamt of the ring, which she wouldn't have known about. Kind of a strange, supernatural tale. After the young king dies, Richard starts getting a little risky again in regards to rebellion, and uh, John, the youngest son, backs Richard. And as we said earlier, John is Henry's favorite legitimate son, right. um, who's always been most invested in him. And when Henry finds out that John is supporting his brother, he just sort of loses his will to live. He's already sick. But he dies shortly
1: thereafter. And he's been betrayed by his entire family, one by one, <laughs> at this point. Except for his illegitimate son, Geoffrey. who was allowed to stay at court. Yeah. So Henry II dies in 1189. And Richard I becomes king. And his first thing is to release his mother. And actually, he comes back
0: to England and finds out that his mother has already been released. Because his handlers know this is her That's favorite he son. And they... They go ahead and take care of business before they even hear from him. And then she spends time kind of acting as a cheerleader for her son almost. He's been living in Aquitaine almost his whole life. He's not well known there and just sort of bolstering his reputation. Right. PR
1: <laughs> yeah. from Eleanor. But Richard I bleeds England dry with crusades and war. He's not a good governor like Henry was.
0: And there's still family problems. The um, brothers are still fighting. is nipping at Richard now. And um, Richard, when he goes away on a crusade, he actually ends up kidnapped in Austria. And this is just to show how low John kind of goes here. Um John raises money for the ransom from his tenants and then he ends up using it himself for <laughs> rebellious purposes. But Eleanor, through, like, Eleanor's diligence, she raises the king's ransom
1: and brings Richard and she gets back. Him back. And John and Richard eventually do make up in Normandy because Eleanor's mediating between them and making it happen. And John kind of keeps a low profile over the next few years. He's, yeah. he's done for the, t- for a time with all the strife.
0: And Richard ends up dying, though, so it's kind of a lost cause. He dies with no heirs. Um, He's shot by an arrow by Bertram de Gerdun, who had a family grudge against him for killing his brothers and father. And Richard is on his deathbed with this horrible infected arrow wound, is so impressed by this man's story that he actually pardons him, this guy who shot him. Um, lets him go. Uh, he doesn't, after his death, the pardon is dropped. But
1: but he tried. He tried. On his And impressed. during this time, Eleanor had withdrawn to the Abbey at Fontreveau, and she wasn't a nun there. She was a guest. She sort of turned it into an, a place for aristocratic this her women first to go. retirement. <laughs> but she was still involved in politics. She yeah. was very much behind the scenes, moving pieces around.
0: But after Richard dies, she has to fully invest herself in public life again um, to help John actually the claim the crown. Because he's not the automatic shoe in that it seems like he would be. The Jeffrey, who was illegitimate... Yeah, we don't his really understand this no. we a
1: little fuzzy here, so if, if y'all know why this is please send us an email why this other guy was a why the illegitimate son contender, contender. <laughs> would be the king um but at one point arthur jeffrey's son tries to kidnap eleanor who is after all his grandmother and welcomed his father the illegitimate son into court so that was quite a moment of ingratitude John's still having trouble with Philip of France, though, um, but they eventually work it out.
0: Philip was initially supporting Arthur, but on the provision that Philip's heir, Louis, be married to one of John's Castilian nieces, one of his sister's daughters, um, they can work out a piece. So Eleanor, who is 80 years old at this point, goes to fetch her granddaughter... And there are two to choose from. And this is kind of a great story. (laughs) They're two you know, equally beautiful and dignified daughters. And one would assume she'd pick the elder, but she (laughs) she doesn't because her name is Uraka. And she doesn't think that the French are going to stand for having a queen (laughs) named Uraka. So she goes for Blanche, who it proved to be a good choice. Blanche ends up to be a very formidable queen, has many children. And, you know, who knows, maybe the problem wasn't the name so much as Eleanor seeing some promise in her younger granddaughter. And
1: I think we learned a lesson about baby names there. Yeah. If you want your daughter to be queen, go for a standard (laughs) name, I guess. But Eleanor at this point is very tired being 82 and having been on the scene in political intrigue for so long. And she retires to Fontreveau once again. And the nuns say of her after her death that she was beautiful and just, imposing and modest, humble and elegant. And they also said she was a queen who surpassed almost all the queens of the world. She died in 1204. So if you'd like to learn more about the Middle Ages and the Crusades, please check out the Stuff You Missed in History class blog and try our webpage at www.howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think.
0: Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the Stuff You Missed in History Class blog on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage.